Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi all, Laura here. Just a quick note before we get started today. I love doing this podcast, but the conversation is pretty one way. It would be great to have more of a dialogue, and there's a fantastic opportunity coming up. Meltem Demiris of CoinShares and Jalak Jobun Putra of Future Perfect Ventures and I are all teaching a crypto workshop at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York from September 20th to the 22nd. It'll be a weekend of, yes, talking crypto, but also of doing yoga, eating healthy food, and enjoying the outdoors on Omega's 250-acre campus. From my days as a yoga instructor, I remember many of the yoga and meditation teachers I revere would lead workshops here, so I'm so honored to be teaching my own, even if it's on a very different topic. Check out the show notes for the link to sign up, and I hope to see you all there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Unchained is now on YouTube. You can find the most recent episodes there every week on the Unchained podcast channel, and we'll soon be getting the full archive up. Also, if you're not yet subscribed to my weekly newsletter, go now to unchainedpodcast.com to sign up. Cyphertrace makes it easy for exchanges and crypto businesses to comply with cryptocurrency anti-money laundering laws, avoid illegal sources of funds, and maintain healthy banking relationships. Cyphertrace is helping you grow the crypto economy by keeping it safe and secure. My guest today is Alexander Zeidelson, CEO of Beam, a cryptocurrency based on the Mimblewimble protocol. Welcome, Alexander. Thanks, Laura. Really excited to be here. Love your podcast. And uh, I expect a very interesting conversation. Last week, I had on core members of the Grin team. Listeners should definitely check that episode out if you haven't yet. It was fascinating. And they described the Mimblewimble protocol. But since this is complex technology, and it's always useful to hear different explanations, can you describe the Mimblewimble protocol? Yeah, absolutely. So Mimblewimble protocol is... um, a very nice invention that allows for uh, full confidentiality on a blockchain without any scalability penalty. Now, the protocol works very differently from all the uh, previous families of protocols, especially, you know, Bitcoin and all the related protocols. So the key thing I would say is that in Mimblewimble, there's no such thing as an address. Instead, every user holds a set of keys and each one of those keys uh, locks a coin or a UTXO, right? We, we, I, I like to imagine that as a safe deposit box with coins. Unspent transaction output for people who don't know what that is. Unspent transaction output. That's, that's correct. So the blockchain, if you look at it, it actually holds a set of all those safe deposit boxes all of the safe deposit boxes look exactly the same from the outside, like exactly like same kind of gibberish, right? You cannot tell anything. You just see that there is a lot of those safe deposit boxes. And each box has an owner, but only the owner knows which one is theirs. 
right? So when a transaction happens, uh, the owner of the input boxes opens them. The recipient creates a new deposit box that would be an output, and the sender puts the change into output for herself if needed. And uh, this construction of the input save deposit boxes and the output save deposit boxes is signed by both parties and then is sent to the blockchain for validation. Now, the miners, the validators, they don't know neither who sent, who is the sender, nor who is the recipient. And they also don't know the values. The only thing they actually need to validate is that the sum of all the inputs equals the sum of all the outputs, and also that all the values are positive. This is very important. Um, and uh, by validating that, they actually uh, pronounce this transaction as legitimate, and this eventually this new state of the blockchain uh, becomes uh, known to everyone, right? So the, a transaction is actually a transition from one set of safe deposit boxes to another one. So that's unbelievable. And when you said that it's important that all the values are positive, can you just walk us through like why that is and what Absolutely. it would mean if yeah one was negative? Absolutely. So, so as I mentioned, uh, if uh, me, Alex, I want to send to you Laura, uh, let's say 50 beam, uh, I would take a safe deposit box of 80, for example. Uh, that's Let's say that's what I had because I just mined it. So I would divide it. We would, in this transaction, our input would be 80 and one output would be 50 and the other one, the change for myself would be 30. And then, you know, we validate, yeah, whatever the inputs are equal the outputs, right? So 80 equals 30 plus 50, all good. But we could do a neat trick like that. I could take 80, give you 180 and give myself minus 100, right? The sum of the inputs would still equal the sum of the outputs, right? Because 80 equals 180 plus minus 100, right? It's 80 on both sides. But here we would actually print money, right? You would get, we would take 80, create 180 for you. And then I would get a negative amount of money, which actually would create an overflow and might even create like a huge number. And that's, that's obviously illegal. So that's why the validators need to make sure that all the values are positive. And for that, we're using a flavor of zero-knowledge proofs uh, called bulletproofs that actually validate that all those numbers are in a certain range between zero, range between zero and a very large uh, number. Again, without the validators seeing the actual values. How did you come to hear about the Mimblewimble protocol and then launch Beam? So... The team uh, heard about the protocol somewhere in the end of 2017. And back then, you know, there was already some development going on uh, by the grant team. Um, and it was decided that it can be good to create an alternative implementation. Uh, we had a good development team and started working on that. We all in the team, we all share an understanding that a currency must be confidential, right? If we really want something to be used as a monetary instrument, confidentiality is of paramount importance because nobody actually likes their finances to be exposed, not the private people and definitely not businesses. So if we hope 
to realize the crypto dream of cryptocurrencies being used uh, as, meaningfully as as money, whether whether it's store of value, means of exchange, or a combination of that, that needs confidentiality. And the Mimblewimble protocol actually is the first protocol that uh, the first architecture that allows confidentiality has it built in from the ground up and has also no scalability penalty, right? Other implementation of privacy coins like Zcash, uh, Monero, and others, they do provide privacy, but at the price of a very large blockchain. The transaction sizes are much bigger because you have to hide stuff. Uh, while in Mimblewimble, all the protocols built in such a way that you don't have anything actually to hide, and it's much more scalable. So, so we realized that it was the path to the future, and uh, thus the project was born. And how much lighter do you project it will be than those blockchains, like maybe per transaction or per some unit? Yeah. Uh, so our calculations suggest that it should be like one-third to one tenth of Bitcoin uh, per transaction. Uh, it's still somewhat early to say because the the size of the blockchain is actually dependent on the number of UTXOs mostly. And uh, it depends on the usage, right? So if we all uh, use a lot of different, I mean, if we were to make a lot of very, very, very small transactions, you know, breaking down each of the UTXOs into like millions of pieces, then blockchain would grow uh, in, in, in one way. But if we used, you know, larger amounts, then it would be, it would be smaller. So, so we're, we're doing some analysis. So right now, uh, I think the blockchain per transaction is somewhat smaller than Bitcoin, but not much. But again, right now, you know, the blocks are still not full. So we cannot say that the, you know, it's been just three, four months. So we'll be continuing to monitor, to monitor that. Uh, and eventually it will become much smaller per transaction. And then compared to Monero and Zcash, do you have a projection? So in our research, we saw and we did some calculations and we published an article on that in our Medium post, uh, just looking you know, at officially published stats of blockchain sizes and, and transaction counts. So Zcash was like nine times or 10 times bigger per transaction than Bitcoin. And Monero, uh, before the latest upgrade, was like, was, I think, uh, 25 times bigger than Bitcoin, and now it's just five times bigger than Bitcoin per transaction after the new upgrade. So, And for Zcash, were those numbers based on the shielded transactions or total, all transactions, like including? Everyone. Oh, okay. Everyone. So, so probably a shielded transaction is, you know, even much bigger. Okay. And what were you doing before you launched Beam? So myself, I have a background in software development, um, uh, entrepreneurship. I, I, I started my first company in 2005. Uh, I co-founded a company called Marius and we were doing a lot of things in peer-to-peer file sharing networks uh, that were super popular back then. You might remember Emily Donkey. So we were doing, uh, now I would say it's some kind of civil attacks of those networks trying to push legitimate content into those networks uh, to monitor those networks. We also did peer-to-peer file sharing on the mobile, so it was was pretty exciting back then. And you know, now when I'm looking at the blockchain, I'm seeing that blockchain solved some of the technology problems that were inherent in those P2P file sharing networks where 
as I mentioned, you know, an actor that was, you know, whose purpose was not exactly to share free content, but say to moniker the network could, you know, easily do that or even push content that was, you know, paid, which in looking, looking back, it was kind of a stupid idea because obviously very few people wanted to pay us <laughs> to buy songs on, on email. Uh, uh, but, you know, we did that as well. We did, you know, also kind of social networking, file sharing on, on the mobile back in the Symbian days, if you remember that operating system. It was very nice technology by Nokia. Um, after that, uh, I had another startup uh, where I actually almost single-handedly created a piece of software that was a desktop dictionary. You could click like any word on your screen, either in the browser or in your Word document or anywhere, and get instant translations uh, to like multiple languages and definitions from Wikipedia, Wiktionary, you know, videos or pictures describing that notion. Uh, that was like a very, uh, very nice little startup, which was eventually acquired by uh, a large Israeli conglomerate. Uh, then I did a lot of product management. I worked for a company called WeFi. Uh, we were doing big data analytics of networking traffic and then of application usage. Uh, worked with uh, carriers and, and cable companies in the States. And then I spent about two years in a venture fund here in Israel, investing in um, late stage uh, growth and late stage companies in, in various areas from you know semiconductors, semiconductors to software to uh, 3D printing and, and such. So a pretty diverse background. And to add to that, my like my MA is in applied linguistics. So so <laughs> I kind of, and I think it's it's an advantage, you know, I, I like to think that it's, it's good to have like a broader view on different technologies and, you know, different things in general. I saw on your FAQ that some people asked why, if you like the Mimblewimble technology, you didn't just join the Grin team since they had started working on an implementation of the Mimblewimble protocol back in the fall of 2016, and you guys got started in March 2018. So why did why not just join Grin? So, you know, we, we believe in this funded startup mentality, and we believe that a dedicated team that gets paid can do much more than a team that is uh, not incentivized. And uh, that's that's why we actually built Beam. And I think we've proven that, you know, our execution is really fast and pretty high quality. And we plan to continue and do, doing, doing more in, and delivering more stuff really quickly. So uh, we thought that, again, a much better way a much faster way and hopefully higher quality way to create a project like that is to have uh, funding. And that actually enables you to do a lot of different things, you know, starting from, you know, traveling to conferences to hiring a, a very good development team and, and paying salaries uh, and a lot of other stuff. So most uh, from what, you know, from my experience and I mean, if we look around, most of the startups in the world uh, are funded uh, and also get some benefit in the success from the success of what they're building. So we thought it was a great technology and a great opportunity to build something very valuable for the community and uh, do it in a you know in a fast way and in a good way. All right. Yeah, we'll come back to that uh, topic a little later because uh, I want to ask a bit more about that. But first, let's kind of draw out some more of 
you know, what Beam is about. So who are the customers you're targeting with Beam? So, well, right now the customers are, you know, Beam is, let's take a step back. So, So Beam is a confidential cryptocurrency trying to be best in class confidential cryptocurrency, both in terms of performance, privacy, usability, everything. So right now, our customers are, you know, crypto enthusiasts, miners, traders who are, uh, you know, doing doing stuff with Beam. We really want to push Beam as a means of payment for various ser- services, you know, starting from privacy-oriented stuff like VPNs um, and, and eventually more. So we're now working on integrations with payment processors so that merchants can start accepting Beam. Uh, right now, crypto is unfortunately not used that much as means of payment. You know, I'm not talking just about our currency, but crypto in general. Uh, so it will it will take time, but we want to be there once uh, once this starts happening. And we want to have all the all the pieces in place. Now, later down the road, uh, we also want to enable businesses to accept confidential currency and eventually be able to pass AML tests for the currency if they desire to do so. So the bigger long-term vision is to create a layer that is the best confidential cryptocurrency, but then add more layers that would allow people who want that to create some sort of history that can be used to also pass AML and also present audit. Yeah, can you walk through what that would look like then? So maybe there's a business, and you gave that example of a VPN, and I wasn't sure by that. Do you mean a customer using a VPN could pay using a privacy coin? Yeah, that's that's what I mean. That's a use case that that is very valid today, right? There are are a lot of places uh, where people don't want to expose their internet traffic to the government or or to other people, they use VPNs. But if we think of it now, okay, I use a VPN, but usually I have to pay for that. So the same government can actually know that I paid for this VPN if I'm not using a confidential means of payment. And Beam is such a means of payment that can be used for acquiring those services. It kind of is, is a perfect uh, it's a perfect match. But uh, other other stuff as well, of course. Other stuff as well. And with the and when you were talking about KYC, like what's an example of a company that would do that, or with auditing, etc. So the K, KYC is much later down the road, uh, and, but the vision is that you know imagine a department store or an online merchant that is like Amazon, right, or or another kind. Just imagine a, a web web store that sells you know books or or stuff or you know what, let's just imagine a regulated exchange, right? Like, I think uh, the sponsors of this show are exactly talking about AML. So so an exchange, in some places, when you bring a bunch of coins to the exchange, they, they want to do some tests, right? They want to make sure that they won't be attacked uh, by the government uh, for, for, you know, failing those AML tests. So what we want to enable in the future is to enable the user of the coin to prepare in advance and and store some sort of a history that would prove 
uh, that the money was acquired in a legitimate way, or in other words, to pass AML tests, but if, but while still being fully confidential, right? Because today, you know, with Bitcoin, you can pass those tests, but the price is that everybody sees everything, right? With a confidential currency today, it's very hard to pass those tests because there is no trace at all. But imagine a situation where you could create such a trace, which would still be confidential, uh, but you could show it to somebody you trust or kind of have to trust, and then they would they would check this history and say, yeah, okay, this those funds are legit and we can accept them. So how do you persuade businesses to use Veeam? Is it going to be done with a typical sales team who go out pitching this cryptocurrency to businesses? And how will that work when both both the merchant and then whoever their supplier or whoever, you know, when both sides need to agree to use Beam, like how are you going to convince, do you convince both sides or how does that part work? Well, so I, uh, first of all, uh, businesses do realize and will realize more that using a non-confidential cryptocurrency is a problem, right? We don't need to really go door to door and try to sell them on that. Uh, we'll do the two partnerships, you know, with with uh, payment uh, integrators and so on. So our, our goal is just to enable that. So, so so first business will realize that they need confidential currency because as a business, you can't just expose all your books to everyone. Right. And then they will also need to realize that some of them, at least, need to do some sort of reporting. Right. And pass some sort of tests. And so we are you know, planning to develop this technology that would allow both. And, and when businesses will start looking for cryptocurrency to use, that will be the cryptocurrency they will be able to use, actually. Because others would lack either confidentiality or this opt-in audit functionality. And one other thing is we've kind of seen that one of the issues with a number of these cryptocurrencies where uh, people have attempted to get merchants or banks to use them is that the price is not stable compared to, uh, you know, a more, a more traditional currency that we transact in, such as the dollar. So how are you going to get businesses to use this currency that may have a fluctuating price? Why not make Beam a private, scalable, stable coin? So that's a great question. That's one of the bigger problems uh, in the crypto space, one of the things that's hurting adoption. So Beam right now is a cryptocurrency, but the next step in the the development is turning Beam into a platform uh, by enabling people to issue other kinds of tokens on the platform. And some of those tokens can be stable coins. Right, so we're now actively thinking about building bridges to Ethereum so that people could lock certain assets on Ethereum, for example, a stablecoin, and issue its exact representation on Beam and then trade in full confidentiality. Right, and this is true for other tokens as well. We can think about STO tokens or other stuff because for any kind of transfer of value, in most cases, you want confidentiality, right? You don't want your value to be transferred in public. Wait, so I, I didn't follow. So you're saying now that like businesses won't actually use Beam, that Beam will be used to issue other coins that businesses will use? We will offer both uh, both possibilities, right? So in time, cryptocurrencies might become more stable 
in terms of their value. Or, you know, even now, if we think, if we look at Bitcoin uh, or, or even Beam for that matter, but, you know, we don't have such a long history yet. Uh, and then compare it to some fiat currencies in, uh, you know, places like Venezuela or others. So our currencies are much more, more stable than that. And, and hopefully in the future, they will become more stable. So they will be more usable by businesses in the same way, by the way, as even today, some of the businesses, not, not many, but some of the businesses do use Bitcoin, right? Especially in our ecosystem. So some people accept Bitcoin and, you know, either convert it to fiat or, or some even don't do that. Some just keep it that way. Uh, but we'll give people the options of using Beam as, as a currency in a fully confidential way or use, you know, stable coins issued on the Beam network, not by us, most likely. We'll just create those bridges and allow uh, confidential trading of stable coins on Beam. You've said that the work on Beam in 2019 will move along two tracks, Beam Core and Beam Compliance. Can you describe each track and what work is entailed in each of those? So actually, most of the work in 2019 will be uh, based on Beam Core. And Beam Core is just building the best in class privacy coin and an ecosystem around it, right? So, and that includes wallets, uh, you know, where we have a very nice desktop wallet, very easy to use. Now we've just released an Android mainnet wallet. We'll soon be releasing an iOS wallet. Uh, so all uh, integrations with different, uh, you know, other wallets, merchants, um, and uh, adding whatever stuff that is required for the functionality of uh, blockchain researching, maybe additional consensus methods, improving privacy as we can. So all this is Beam Core. And Beam Compliance is a longer-term project where we're now researching the ways of making it possible for a confidential coin to also be opt-in compliant. And from what I've read, you've said that this will enable or that there will be like a compliance suite that you've described as, quote, a complex piece of software incorporating various use cases, integrated with third-party services, and conforming to country-specific regulations. Can you give some examples of who or what kinds of companies those third-party services would be and how your the software would function? So, so I'll give you an example. Imagine a company that wants to accept Beam as, uh, for payments of, uh, for its services, uh, but they want to make sure that they are they have a way to report their transactions, and that they and they also want to say KYC their clients or be able to check their history. So they will have this very specific piece of software. Let's call it the business wallet that will allow them uh, to a keep the history of all their transactions, b attach specific documents to each transaction or require specific documents from the counterparty for each transaction and then store a reference to those documents on the blockchain after the transaction is completed. So, for example, uh, a business uh, pays to a supplier in Beam. They would initiate a transaction and, you know, the wallet will actually request the supplier to, uh, to attach an invoice to the transaction. And the invoice will be reviewed by the, the, the payer and, and agreed. And then, you know, once they click OK, 
this transaction will be sent to the blockchain. Uh, and it will also include a reference to all the document package, which can create, you know, invoices, contracts. It might, might, uh, also the business might demand KYC from the sender or the recipient of the funds. So those third party providers can be KYC providers. It can also be auditors that will need to interface with the blockchain and with this uh, off-chain storage of documents to be able to validate uh, the full transaction list of this particular wallet. We're going to discuss the consensus algorithm and their raise in venture capital after the break. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Did you know that if money laundering were an economy, its GDP would be the size of Canada's? Large volumes of tainted crypto assets move through financial networks, often below the radar of banks. Cybercriminals use unregulated crypto exchanges to avoid detection. No wonder governments around the world are rolling out tough, new anti-money laundering laws for cryptocurrencies. Complying with those laws isn't easy. Banks and exchanges need the best cryptocurrency intelligence available to avoid penalties. Now you can use the same powerful AML and compliance monitoring tools used by regulators. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. To learn more, visit cyphertrace.com slash unchained. Back to my conversation about Beam with Alexander Zeidelson. So for we, we discussed this briefly, you know, the differences between um, Beam and other existing privacy coins such as Zcash and Monero. And you talked about how this, you know, you perceive to be more scalable, but those are already kind of like in use. So why at this point would someone choose to use Beam versus one of the other privacy coins? Uh, better usability and better scalability. Right. Uh, better scalability allows more people to use it uh, and better usability as, you know, we're building now all those wallets and all the user friendly features. It you know, just makes it easier to use. And I think our old space is very nascent, is very small. So uh, there are so many people who will be coming into the crypto space uh, in the coming years that, uh, you know, they will choose the best technology that they think will best fit their their use cases and also something that will be the most convenient to use and uh, Beam will be there. And also, again, our longer term vision of making the currency business friendly will attract eventually more people. And when you talk about how it's more scalable, is that something that is apparent to the user 
do you know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I get from a technological perspective why that's an advantage, but is that something that they would be aware of and, and have some experience with that would make them, you know, choose something else that is newer at this point? Very much so. Uh, for example, when you install, you know, a Bitcoin node, you have to download like 200 gigs and it takes like, you know, depending on your setup, it might take several days just to, to get the thing up and running. Uh, so, and that's, that's where people, or Monero's is, I think, 20 gigs. And it also takes like tons of time to download it and set it up and running, right? With, with a much more scalable blockchain, it takes much less time to set it up. And you can also run it on smaller devices. You can even run it on a mobile device. You can run your own uh, node potentially on a uh, mobile phone, uh, which open. So you're you're saying that businesses that will use this for payments, they'll also run their own nodes? I think so. I think eventually most of the people will choose to run their own nodes because it's much more secure. You don't have to trust anyone. And that's what you know crypto is all about, right? Being your own bank. And the way to do that is to run your own node. All right. And so um, we talked a little bit earlier about the differences between Beam and Grin, uh, which, as I mentioned, was featured on last week's episode. So why would someone choose to use Beam as opposed to Grin? So... Because, you know, that has the same properties of scalability and privacy. That's right. The scalability is privacy is arguably the same, although uh, we have somewhat... Yeah we have a little bit better implementation of Dandelion with a little bit more detail, decoys, so a better privacy there. We are more usable right now. Um, so, you know, for Grin, you, you know, the, the, the UI wallets are just starting to pop up, but so far it's mostly CLI, which is very, very hard to use for a non-technical person. We've command had, line interface. Yes, command line interface, that's correct. That, you know, most non-technical people just have no idea what, what to do with. Um, and we right now are completing the set of wallets for all the platforms out there. We are also doing a lot of innovation. And one of the limitation of Mimblewimble is that the two wallets have to talk, right, in order to set up the transaction, meaning that you have to be online. Uh, you know, with Beam, we are solving, we're actually hiding all of this complexity using a messaging subsystem that we call the SBBS secure bulletin board system, uh, where, uh, which is distributed and run by all the nodes, which actually allows the two wallets to communicate without the user needing to, you know, even know that these things happen, but they still have to be online. We're soon adding, uh, something we call, uh, one-sided payments where it will be possible to publish some sort of, uh, preset uh, collection of UTXOs and then let everybody know uh, how to reference it. And then uh, people will be able to pay to this uh, set or to this, uh, to pay to those UTXOs without the uh, recipient wallet being online at all. Uh, so it, it will be much more convenient. Uh, and we're working again, as I mentioned, on other stuff. Uh, Lightning is uh, something we're also looking at. Uh, so our uh, friendly competition with Grin is on usability, on innovation, um, and eventually on business friendliness as well, on being able to fit the financial ecosystem. 
In the first five years of block rewards on Beam, what percentage goes to the treasury? Because I read in a few places online that it was 20%, but in the blog post uh, about that allocation, I calculated it to 25%. So which one is it? It's it's 20. It's 20% exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which uh, blog post. Because the blog post, it was about the emission schedule and it said... When the block reward is 80, then 20, sorry, when the block reward is 80 beams per block, then 20 coins will go to the treasury. And then when it's. Yeah, so, so that's 40, 20%. Uh, then 10. Yeah, that, you know, it depends on. No, it's on, 25%. Well, if. 20 divided by 80. Well, is if, but 25%. You, you can look at it as like the, the total block reward is 100, and 20% of that go like. For every block, 100 coins are. Oh, so minted. it's 20 out of 100? Yeah. Wait, yeah. it's 20 out of 100, not 20 out of 80? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. It's 20 out of 100, right? So for every block, 80 coins go to the miner and 20 go to the treasury. Oh, now so I get it. So the total is 100. Sorry. Okay. The total is 100. Right, right, right. Okay. Yep. Okay, good. No wonder. I was like, why does it say 20 everywhere else? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 25? just the, the okay, different ways to look at those percentages. Yeah, I, I understand where, yeah. So, so you got the impression that the 20 were taken out of the 80. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'll need to revisit that article and maybe made it, make it clearer there because, yeah, I, I, I understand. Okay. 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 Yeah. I think I was confusing the minor reward with like the Coinbase yeah. Uh, emission. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, and then also, how much did you raise in venture capital? So I raised a little bit over $5 million. I'm sorry. You said that, $5 million? Yep. $5 million. Okay. So back to this question about Beam versus Grin. So obviously, you know, we talked about how, at least at the base layer, they're similar technology-wise. And then, um, you know, you talked about how you're differentiating, like on usability and, and other things. But overall, I would say the philosophies between the two coins are pretty different. Um, you may have heard in my conversation with the core developers there that they would call the um the allocation to the treasury a dev tax and you know you're you're um kind of dispensing that amongst the foundation the investors the core team and the advisors and then of course you've raised venture capital and grins developers rely mostly on donations so you know is that like another area in which you feel like you're trying to differentiate or that people might prefer to work with you with Beam rather uh, than Grin? Like, how how do you... Because I, I think for them, they would say, well, this is more like a community effort. It's a coin for everybody. It's more like Bitcoin in that regard. Like, it's not about us. What's your response to that? Well, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the philosophy of the project is also important, but what's not less or even more important is the actual quality, the speed of delivery, and the stuff that the team is developing and, 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 and giving the community, right? So I think that and, and the quality and the usability would probably be a very important factor for people. Uh, and as long as the, pro, the, the project uh, team is honest and clear about what they're doing, you know, and, and we see today, right, people are mining and buying Beam and they're mining and buying, mining and buying Grin, uh, you know, in a similar fashion, it's, you know, two projects are, you know, uh, 
not not too far from each other in terms of you know the price and the mining power. Green is leading, but uh, it's not like uh, Beam is too much smaller than that. So so I think the main factors are the honesty of the team uh, and the quality of the product that the team is developing, uh, rather than you know how exactly it is uh, funded or not. And we've been always very transparent about that. And you know. Uh, so far, we're seeing a lot of interest and a lot of positive feedback from the market. Definitely, some people would prefer Grin because they feel it's better and it's fine. Other people would prefer Beam because they would feel that there is a funded team here that will develop the protocol more and more and more. I will not need to ask uh, for uh, donations and rely on you know benevolence of some donors um, and also that the project, the treasury has set aside funds for the foundation that will continue the support uh, of the project and that will be, that will ensure that, you know, people are incentivized to build on top of the, uh, on top of the protocol, even when the initial funds are out. A few days after launch, Beam discovered a critical vulnerability in its wallet. How did you discover it and fix it? And was there any known negative impact? So there was there was no negative impact uh, whatsoever. Um, it was just a you know a beginning of a feature that was not eventually developed that was kind of left left uh, hanging uh, by our developers. You know, we just discovered that during some routine, you know, review of the code, uh, fix it pretty quickly. Uh, unfortunately, because it's allowed potentially in a certain scenario, this thing allowed stealing the funds, we couldn't, we didn't want to like immediately disclose it. And, and we had to release like closed source binaries and, and ask everyone to update and wait for several days before we actually uh, release the, the source code. Uh, with a fix. Uh, and that was like, I think that created some sort of a uh, uh, confusion in the community. But, you know, eventually it was all resolved and, and we're fine. And shortly after that, your blockchain also experienced a stoppage of about two and a half hours. What happened there? So what happened there was an, an interesting uh, case of collision of two UTXOs. There were cases where people were running and still are uh, running like the same uh, wallet with this, the same um, seed, right? Wallets with the same seed on two different machines, right? And and this in certain scenario created like a combination of two UTXOs from that same wallet, same but different. Uh, and those two UTXOs kind of stuck together and created uh, a block that could not be validated or processed. And it just created this, this halt. Okay. And, and it took us some time to find the situation. And then we, we just issued a fix. It was actually in that case, we were very transparent to the community and it was fixed, I think in like, yeah, as you said, two and a half hours. And it, it was like a moment of, uh, you know, testing of our uh, communication and, uh, and technical skills as well. And uh, we went through that. You started Beam in March 2018 and launched in January 2019. Grin started development in fall of 2016. And you referenced earlier how you felt that going 
with a VC funded company that had the incentives built in, you know, enabled you to come up with a better project and to move faster. But do you feel that the speed with which you launched is part of the reason that these two issues cropped up almost immediately after the launch? Uh, that, that might be that might be the case. Although uh, you know, as we see, software has bugs, regardless of how much you write it, how much you test it. We see projects like Zcash discovering bugs years after the release. So it, it's it's hard to say. I think software inherently, whether you do it quickly or or you take a lot of time, it inherently has bugs. Um, and this is like an inevitable fact of life. I, 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 I hope we don't encounter such situation in the future, but you never know. The main thing is that if we do, we fix them and, and continue. In the case of Zcash, the bug, you're right, was found quite a bit later. But in this case, these happened like right after launch. And so the wallet vulnerability presumably could have found, been found a little bit you know, if you would wait it maybe a little bit longer to to launch and same perhaps with the blockchain stoppage, wouldn't you say so that, you know, it's it's one like in a way, maybe those are more they sh- should have been perhaps more obvious problems if they happen so soon after launch? Well, probably yes. But but again, I, I don't think uh, any amount of, you know, waiting can guarantee that there are no bugs. So. Yeah, you know, you, you might be right uh, that, you know, if we had waited for several more months, maybe we, we wouldn't have those bugs, but maybe not. Because until you launch something, uh, there are some things that you just cannot test in the lab, right? So it's uh, it's kind of hard to answer here. How is Beam being governed? Beam is being governed by the team. Um, so we have like the core team of the project and uh, we're creating our roadmaps. We're having, you know, developer discussions all the time uh, inside the team. It's governed very similar to a startup where there are several key stakeholders. The team is relatively small. So it's not just, you know, myself or our CTO or somebody else that just makes all the decision, all the decisions, everything is being discussed uh, with, you know, the development team, the, the, the business team, uh, and then, you know, we decide what's the next thing we want to build, and then we just go and build it. Let's talk about the Beam Foundation. How will that function? So that foundation will have uh, Beam coins set aside, uh, and it's 20% of the treasury, right, is set aside for the foundation. The foundation will be run by a board of directors, which we will, you know, once we have it set up, we'll start going out and, and, and looking and offering people to join uh, the board of directors. And the board will just issue grants uh, either for something the foundation thinks needs to be developed or for things that people suggest that they want to develop in a similar way like uh, Zcash Foundation does and, and maybe some others. And where will it be based? Hopefully in Switzerland. We're working to set it up in Switzerland. Okay. When do you expect it to be? to be launched? Well, it, it should be like in, in a couple of months from now, we started the process already. It it's just not very transparent. Unfortunately with the authorities, it, it, things take time. So we are working on that. That's what I can say. And you plan not to have anyone from the company on the foundation board, correct? 
Uh, no, there may be somebody from the company, at least in the beginning, because, you know, we have to set it up. Uh, but later on, we'll probably fade out or maybe have like one seat out of a larger number of five or seven. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask if after what's seeing what happened with Tezos, where they didn't have any of the creators on the foundation board and they ended up in a power struggle with their board members, if that was something that, you know, was giving you pause about not putting any company team members on the board, but it sounds like you plan to do that. No, I, it, we, we're still not, we're not 100% sure yet. So, so when we set it up, it will be run by the, the original team members, right? Because you have to have some people in the beginning to just set up the structure and then we'll attract uh, more people from the outside and then we'll see, you know, it depends. But again, the goal is not to be in control. We might still want to have somebody from the original team because, you know, these are the people who understand the project arguably best at the moment, at least. All right. Let's talk about your mining algorithm. You chose the Equihash mining algorithm. Why? Uh, it was pretty well known back then. So we didn't want to innovate too much uh, in that area. And we just took something that was well known, uh, memory intensive. So Equihash was there. So we modified the parameters and started using it. And for listeners who are familiar with proof of work and proof of stake, but maybe not Equihash. Can you describe how that works? So uh, it is uh, solving uh, what's called a birthday problem. So it's, it's about finding collisions in large sets, sets of numbers. Uh, that's probably as much as I can explain in you know, in this format, I'm not not an expert in how exactly Equihash works. But basically, the idea is the same. It's like meaningless cryptographic puzzles that are being solved by going through huge amounts of numbers and just trying each of them one by one. In recent months, a number of coins using the Equihash mining algorithm were 51% attacked, such as Zencash, now called Horizon, and Bitcoin Gold. Why did you choose Equihash anyway, despite this seeming vulnerability? I think that would be true for any uh, GPU mined algorithm, Equihash or not. Uh, the, the algorithm itself is not, does not have anything specific that makes it easier uh, or more difficult to attack. Okay, despite the track record? Yeah, I think the track record is not because of the algorithm, uh, but because it's just popular uh, on GPUs. So the, the probability of this 51% attack, is, you know, the possibility of this attack is because people can take a lot of GPUs and just, um, you know, turn them onto a, a specific protocol and, and try to mount such kind of an attack. Uh, and it doesn't matter which algorithm which specific algorithm is being used. It's not like Equihash is more vulnerable than any other algorithm that runs on GPUs. And so are you aiming to move off GPU mining? Eventually, yes. Uh, so we plan to do two hard forks, one somewhere in July and another one somewhere in December, uh, meaning that until then it won't make sense for anyone to start working on an ASIC. But once we announce the second one and we announce the exact algorithm uh, that will be used, so people will be able to start preparing their ACES. And meaning that somewhere in the middle of 2020, uh, there will be ACES on the market and 
that that will be used for mining rather than the GPUs. And basically, you don't want to announce what the what the future changes are because you want to kind of what get as broad a swath of miners as possible, and then later to introduce more security to it in that work. Then you'll have more ASICs. Is that the thinking there? Yeah, I mean, it, it does. I mean, the whole point uh, to announce the hard forks uh, and not to announce what exactly they will be is to to signal to the market that it doesn't make sense to start building uh, ASICs now. Okay, because if I were to say the exact algorithm that will be there in December, uh, you know, people would start spending money, probably. I mean, at least they would they would have like this, uh, they would be able to, to start, you know, developing an ASIC uh, to mine. Uh, but right now we don't want that. We want to keep the mining uh, more uh, democratized to allow like, uh, every person who has a GPU at home to mine some beam coins. Uh, and we also want the network to grow a little bit to make it to make it worthwhile for people to develop ASICs, right? Because we, you don't want to be in a situation where, uh, where you know, a, there is a very, very small number of ASICs because the network is small, so it only makes sense to people to buy, like, a small number of those ASICs, and then you end up with, like, very, very few people controlling the whole networks with a bunch of ASICs. So you want to grow first and then uh, let people develop ASICs. Yeah, I think that's one way in which actually you your philosophy is similar to Grins because right. they're doing something, yeah, where they're also trying. I mean, I guess a lot of these projects are doing that. So let's talk a little bit more about the friendly competition between you and Grin. Beam funded a security audit for Grin why? Uh, well, first of all, well, you know, we are in, in good relationship with them and specifically, and we wanted to help out, you know, just out of, you know, being friends, but also, uh, we both, both, both projects are doing Mimble Wimble, right? And if, uh, there is like a big security hole in Mimble Wimble, then it's not good for either of us, right? So that's why we felt it was like, it made perfect sense, you know, to to donate money to this particular purpose, and you know, and I think it was uh, well, very well received. Yeah, I wonder what you know. I, I don't think you asked them uh, about that, but I think they would. I mean, they were grateful, and and I think we understood that it kind of makes sense because you know we are both doing the same protocol. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, and as you know, we've been talking about they are a protocol where they're primarily donation funded. So, um, you know, whether it comes from you or from somebody else, it, it's a donation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so throughout the show, you've talked about some of the new features that you plan to launch on Grin. Can you talk more on about Beam. any, yeah. or sorry, on Beam, can you talk more about any that you haven't mentioned yet, or maybe further elaborate on certain ones that you might've mentioned briefly? Okay, so uh, we just released something we call payment confirmation, uh, which is an important feature and in some way maybe a first step to this uh, possibility of uh, undergoing audit. So this is something that allows uh, me to send you some funds and then be able to prove uh, with a reference to the blockchain that I did send you this exact amount. It's it's an important thing because in theory, you know, I could send you a thousand beam, but then you could deny that, 
you know, you could say, well, I only received a hundred, right? We would, we would have a transaction kernel. I mean, I could prove that there was a transaction, but I couldn't prove the amount. So this feature allows us both to sign some sort of confirmation, which nobody else can see and it's kept in the wallet. But if there is a disagreement later down the road, uh, then I can prove that I did send this particular amount and that you actually saw that and signed it or your wallet did. So that's, that's one important thing. Um, another, uh, feature that we talked about briefly is one-sided payments, right? So this allows a merchant or a, you know, somebody receiving donations to create something off chain. You know, some something, uh, some set of recipient UTXOs actually, and allow other people to send money to that place without uh, the need for the recipient wallet to be online at all. That's that's also very important. Uh, other exciting stuff. I mentioned the mobile wallet, so this is pretty cool. And you know, we have Android, iOS is on its way now. We have the testnet version, but we'll have the mainnet version soon and we're looking at ways to to see how a full node can run on the mobile as well it's it's a long way but there is some development there pretty exciting uh hmm. we're yeah and, and that's where scalability comes in right uh so in theory it's possible uh and th- this would give like more uh, more security right and, and more uh and more democratized network right because if i today in most mobile wallets just talk to a specific, to, to some random or non-random node, and then means that somebody else is kind of securing your funds. If you, if you have your own node, then it's, uh, it's much better, more secure. Another thing is Lightning. We're looking into that uh, on how to implement payment channels on Beam, uh, because there is a lot of talk about Lightning and how it can really improve the payment speed and, and improve usability of crypto in general. So we want to be there. Uh, so looking into that as well. Also doing some research into privacy of the blockchain. There are some claims about potential linkability of UTXOs and Mimblewimble. So we want to do something along those lines as well. Atomic swaps uh, in the coming days will be demoing an atomic swap uh, between uh, Bitcoin and Beam, and hopefully during April we'll be releasing that. And and then there are next steps like creating a distributed bulletin board for people to start trading without any trusted third party. So this is also a big a big thing. And you know we we just did a survey of our community, and this is like the most desired feature. It, it turned it turned turn out to be the most desired feature creating this atomic swap because people want to be able to you know buy and sell being for bitcoin without even you know registering on an exchange or doing business with with any exchange and then what about when you said the bulletin board how are you defining bulletin board and how is that different from like an exchange or a dex uh, so, so it's sort of a DEX, but we're right now we're not looking to building like a full-fledged DEX, but think just of a board where people post, okay, I want to buy 500 Beam for oh, for whatever point five like Bitcoin. Kind of like a local Bitcoins or something. Yeah, 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 Some, okay. something like that. That's that's distributed, right? But but we'll see. But we'll see how exactly it will work. But the the, the idea is to provide a place 
for people to post those uh, buy and sell orders, uh, right? Not in a full-fledged ways like you have it on exchanges, but in, in a simpler fashion, at least in the beginning. Later on, we'll be looking to add a DEX as well. Uh, now, in, in terms of building the platform uh, that I mentioned a couple of times uh, and expanding from just using one coin to, uh, you know, having just one beam coin on our blockchain to having more assets, more confidential assets, we're now looking at uh, how we can build bridges to Ethereum uh, and then enable people to lock stuff on Ethereum and then confidentially trade it on Beam and then being able to go back to Ethereum at any moment. So what would that look like exactly? I, I don't know if I fully follow that. Like you have some kind of ERC-20 token and then what, when you say a bridge, so just so let's say you, like let's say you have, people. yeah. So let's say you have a die coins, right? And you want to, and you realize that whatever you do with them on Ethereum is visible to everyone and you don't like that. So you would go, you would send them to a special place called this bridge, which would probably be a smart contract uh, with some other software for, on our side. The smart contract locks, locks your DAI coins and issues their representation, let's call them BDAI, uh, Beam DAI, to your Beam wallet. Uh, and then you have those coins on the Beam blockchain and you can trade them with uh, anyone you want. And it will all work exactly with the same level of confidentiality as the native Beam token, but it will be a different token. And then when you want out, you will go to the same bridge and burn your BDI and take the necessary amount or the corresponding amount of DAI from the smart wallet to your Ethereum wallet. All right. Well, sounds really interesting. I guess we'll wait to see what the further developments are. It's been so great having you on Unchained. Where can people learn more about you and Beam? So our main place is our website, beam.mw. Uh, we have a very active Telegram channel, which is referenced on the website. And we also have a pretty rich medium with a lot of information. So please go to our website, join our Telegram, join our newsletter. And, you know, we the community is very open. We are always there to answer any questions. We really welcome any questions, any criticism, any ideas. So the more, the merrier. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on Unchained. Thanks, Laura. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Beam and Alexander, check out the show notes inside your podcast player. If you are not yet signed up for my email newsletter, go to unchainedpodcast.com right now to get my thoughts on the top crypto stories of the week. And be sure to check out our new channel on YouTube. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Gallipoli, Frost Recording, Jenny Josephson, Daniel Ness, and Rich Straffolino. Thanks for listening.